This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Fish Bites, Miami Marlins coverage brought to you by the Fish Stripes podcast. I, Eli Sussman, am the managing editor of Fish Stripes. Lots of content for you to check out on the main site. We are on Yasiel Puig Watch. Now that there's reportedly some mutual interest between he and the Marlins, Puig won't be the Cuban savior or anything close, just a thrilling player and unique, authentic personality that teammates and fans would gravitate towards. Also, check out my monthly payroll update, breaking down what Miami's spending projects to be next season, how that compares to 2019, and how you should feel about it. Read it. Share it. Thanks in advance. Also, coming to fishstripes.com this Thursday, the 2020 preseason Top 30 Prospects list. The Marlins farm system is better now than at any other point in my Fish Stripes tenure, and it's going to be fulfilling to bring you new insight and player highlights in cooperation with the rest of my staff at Fish Stripes. That is Thursday, December 19th, updating the top prospects list. At the recently concluded MLB winter meetings, the Marlins reached a deal with right-handed reliever Yimmy Garcia, still unofficial as of this recording. They selected right-hander Sterling Sharp from the Nationals organization during the Rule 5 draft, as well as catcher Julian Leon during the AAA phase of the Rule 5. They've been linked to Puig and a handful of other experienced outfielders, mostly available via free agency, but even a few trade candidates, as other teams inquired about several of their controllable starting pitchers. Hmm. To analyze it all, Aram Layden spoke to Sun Sentinel Marlins beat reporter Wells Dusenberry, a returning guest to the pod. He was in San Diego for the winter meetings, and he'll be continuing coverage of the team throughout the rest of the offseason and beyond. So listen up as Aram and Wells discuss the state of the fish, and then I'll return for a final segment featuring comments from you, the listeners, grading the off-season activity so far. Buckle up. Fish Bites podcast. I'm Aram Layton alongside Wells Dusenberry, the Marlins Sun Sentinel beat reporter. 
Wells, I know you're dealing with a little bit of jet lag, so thank you for joining us from <laughs> after the winter meetings. It was an eventful week, not really for the Marlins as much, but uh, how was it? Your second winter meeting, how did it go? It was good. Um, yeah, you mentioned another uh, West Coast swing, so definitely a little bit of uh, jet lag there. Winter meetings are definitely uh, pretty busy, not a ton of sleep. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, um, in as a whole for Major League Baseball, is pretty wild when you have Cole, Strasburg, and Rendon all signed. The Marlins, you know, a little bit more, more quiet. But um, yeah, overall, a lot more eventful this year um, as a whole with the winter meetings. But still, you know, a lot of stuff uh, we'll see still to come. So a lot of things I want to touch on. You've been covering a lot. Obviously, this is a really crazy, busy time with the Marlins. A lot of speculation, a lot of decisions to be made. We'll obviously talk about some of the free agency decisions at Loom, some of the decisions they made, some small little signings here and there during the meetings, and then uh, we'll talk about the season coming up. But uh, first and foremost, we'll talk about what they did do uh, before we go into the speculation. They added a couple pitchers, one through the Rule 5 draft and one through free agency. Uh, what did you think of those moves? Small in nature, but uh, they could end up paying dividends as soon as next year. I think they were, you know, good starting moves for the team. Obviously, anyone who watched the Marlins last year saw that the bullpen was an issue. And, you know, Michael Hill was pretty straightforward saying, you know, we need guys who can throw strikes. Walks were an issue. And I think you know, we saw that with some of the moves, you know, cutting ties with, you know, Tehran Guerrero, who obviously, you know, while he had that fastball, couldn't command it. Tyler Kinley gone. But you look at some of it here. I think, you know, Yimmy Garcia, they said this is going to be a key focus. They wanted to upgrade that bullpen. And he's an interesting one, obviously, coming off the Dodgers. He was non-tendered. So, you know, you had a little bit of an opening there. He's got that. Um, he's still in arbitration. So they have like a little bit more of control for him, you know, if he can, you know, rebound a little bit and kind of continue what he's doing, you know, with the Dodgers previously, I think that there's some upside in terms of that. And obviously he played for Don Mattingly in LA. So there is probably a little bit of familiarity there too, as well. And I would imagine that, you know, Donnie would be comfortable, you know, bringing him back in, knowing what he brings to the table. So I like that as kind of a smaller, you know, you know, one, you know, part of that. And then, Sterling Sharp in the Rule 5 draft. Um, obviously, Rule 5 draft is, you know, it's not, you're not always going to hit. You know, it's kind of definitely taking a lot of flyers uh, on guys. Um, you look at Eliezer Hernandez, someone that has paid off. And then, but for real Eliezer Hernandez, you have either Julian Fernandez, Riley Farrell, Brett Graves recently. Um, by all accounts, you know, Sterling Sharp, the team, you know, has mentioned they like his profile. He's not, it's interesting that Mike Hill, you know, mentioned that. They said, you know, we've had these, he's a lower velocity guy around like uh, Baseball America has him around 89, 92 on his fastball, but he's a big sinker guy, really good ground ball rate. And, you know, Michael says we've had these guys who have thrown 100 and can't throw strikes. So they're going this avenue on there. So I think it's an interesting one there to try out and see. And of course, rule five, it's pretty low risk anyway. If you don't like them, they can be returned and so I think it's definitely worth a shot to see what those guys can do. It's funny you mentioned the the shift from the high-velocity wild guys to the more controlling sinker ballers because that's exactly what they did, like you said, with, with especially Sharp here. And I saw you tweet out a quote that was along those lines of, we tried it with the guys that throw 100. We're going to try something else now. And Sharp seems like he's a guy that's really refined his stuff from what I've seen in the Arizona Fall League. And he slides right into number 22 
and the Marlins' top 30 prospects on MLB Pipeline. He's a guy that you think could possibly make an impact this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mike said on here, obviously a lot of times when you make roll five picks, there are guys that you're kind of stashing for the future and you want to just, you know, maybe more potentially, you know, kind of potential in the future. But he said we plan on, you know, him making an impact for us this season, you know, so they're going to put him out there. He last highest pitch was in double A, but, you know, we'll see how he does in that transition going forward. He's a guy that has been a starter most of his career, so he might be someone who could do maybe a little bit longer innings, you know, if they had in relief. I guess it's definitely open, um, you know, what they want to do on there. But I think he's definitely an intriguing possibility. And like you mentioned, he was at the Arizona Fall League, so the Marlins staff was able to scout him, you know, during that month after the season. So that definitely gave them a little bit of a closer view on there. But, yeah, I think, you know, right now is that the Marlins bullpen obviously was not very good last year in that, they're going to give opportunities to guys. And if you perform, then you'll have a shot to, you know, be a guy who can play a lot. So I think it's definitely a very good opportunity for Sterling Sharp and could be something that pays dividends on a very low risk um, deal. And so I have to ask you now, because we talked about how the Marlins really want to hold on to their prospects at this point, And because they're pretty far away from being competitive, at least a couple seasons away from legitimately being a threat for a postseason spot down the road, do you think it would make sense, you know, as this team gets closer inches closer to competitiveness and some of these guys like Sixto Sanchez come up and obviously you can't assume that every prospect is going to hit, but Edward Cabrera and Sixto come up, Lede is up there and those guys are doing all right. Could you see some of those other prospects that are depth, like between eight and 15, eventually as the Marlins get closer to competitiveness, being traded for a, a major league bat or a major league arm? Because right now it seems like the Marlins have no inclination to do that. Yeah, I think that's probably something that's going to be more likely once they get closer. Because, I mean, if you look at, <clears throat> at the farm system now, I mean, there's probably what, you know, you have at least, you know, around five or so outfielders. You have, like, a lot of guys where there's only a there's only so many you can play on the field, obviously, at one point, And some might pan out so or might not pan out. So I think that, it makes sense then if you develop a surplus to then maybe trade them once you're a little bit closer. Of course, I think it's like you still have to be in that evaluation phase right now because, you know, whether you have, you look at your outfielders and, you know, whether you're looking at Monte, Harrison, Jesus Sanchez, uh, Plade, Meisner, Connor Scott, all these guys, not everyone necessarily is going to pan out. Now, Gerard Encarnacion too, but I think that you want to have as much of that evaluation time. I think the more evaluation you have, the better sense, of course, you're going to have of whether these guys are going to be someone who can, you know, make an impact. I mean, Connor Scott was someone who struggled for, you know, his first season and for a good chunk of last year until he started to really kind of turn it on at the end of when he was at Clinton and then really, you know, started building into it at high A. So, I mean, and Gerard and Karnacion is a guy who's really – started to turn it on last year too. So I think you want to have as much of an evaluation time for these guys to see which ones are really going to be those key factors. So and especially when the team is not going to be in contention this year, I would think it's let's keep all these guys for the most part and see which ones really can we identify as being those key factors. And then, you know, whether it's next year when you're starting to get, you know, a little bit closer, then I think it makes sense to then use maybe the surplus you have to add some 
pieces on the major league level where you can win. And a few things I want to talk about before we get into TV deals and stuff down the road that will also tie into that because as the Marlins, you know, hit their new TV deal, no matter what it is, it's going to be more than it is right now. And that could help them in free agency. But before we get there, there was a couple of things that happened in the winter meetings that I think were buried to a degree because of all the things that were going on and all the speculation. One thing that stuck out to me was what Don Mattingly said about Garrett Cooper. And you wrote a story on that uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, about how Don Mattingly just comes out of nowhere and says Garrett Cooper might not be an everyday player. Uh, I Part of me appreciates the transparency from Don Mattingly, but then the other part of me is a little confused as to why he would just come out and say that. I know Craig Mish has said time and time again that Cooper is one of the hardest workers uh, on the entire ball club and that he thinks he's going to be a breakout candidate, of course, if he stays healthy. But what did you think of Mattingly's comments there? It seemed like, for me, kind of out of the blue and a little bit unnecessary. Um, it was interesting. I mean, just for um, to give a context, um, the question that I asked was you guys brought in Jesus Aguilar, who's mainly a first baseman, and Coop, who's someone who's played outfield. And first, it was where do you mainly, where do you see him lining up next year, which led to the answer. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, bringing in Jesus Aguilar, probably maybe a little of the writing was on the wall in the sense that, yeah, Jesus Aguilar is a first, you know, they've, well, they've made a lot of focus in bringing in guys who can play various positions. Jesus Aguilar is a guy who is, you know, a first baseman, you know, so you figure, all right, that's going to take a lot of those reps there. And then with bringing in Jonathan Villar, he's someone who's going to play in the infield. And I think you look at the lineup and it was obviously, all right, well, if they get someone who can play third, you can have Andy go play in right field. If not, he can play a third. So you'd figure it'd be him more in the outfield, just as it goes a long way of saying that there's kind of less, you know, available spots hypothetically for Cooper on an everyday basis. But I think it was a little, you know, surprising just to kind of hear that, even if say the writing, it was kind of there in mm-hmm. subtext that, you know, this is where it's going. Um, maybe just like, I was just like a little bit surprised just to say it like that. But at the same time, <clears throat> so what he said, there was nothing inaccurate in the sense that, you know, Gary Cooper, he said, he's been a really strong hitter when he's healthy. You know, he has legitimate power, which not a lot of guys on the major league level have, and he's done a good job hitting. But, you know, staying healthy is an issue in that he played 14 games his first year during that wrist injury. Last year, he missed 55. And, you know, well, there's kind of various injuries. I know, like, the getting hit in the hand, that's just bad luck. But, you know, there was the hamstring, bruised knee, and that it's tough for the Marlins because, and I understand where they say, we're not sure if we can count on him. And that may be harsh, but it's, you know, ultimately true where they know, we have to, you know, we have to make um, have a kind of insurances and kind of prepare for, you know, that worst case scenario where I, so I think Cooper, he's a guy who's a great hitter from what I've seen. He definitely, you know, is a great guy. He works very hard on here. And I don't think this is to say that like Garrett Cooper's not going to play ever and can't do it. I mean, if he comes out, he's going to have an opportunity in camp. I mean, if he comes out in the beginning of the year and just crushes it, he won't be a guy who's sitting on the bench the whole time. But I think it was... <clears throat> kind of an, an admission that we have to also prepare for the alternative if he cannot stay healthy, which has been an issue in the past. But if he's someone who comes out and hits and does really well and stays healthy, he'll make his way in the lineup. 
And you heard some rumblings uh, during the winter meetings about the Marlins being asked about several of their major league arms. Of course, Sandy Alcantara, everybody wanted him, but that's not going to happen. Pablo Lopez was asked for by the Twins. Didn't seem like the Marlins were biting on that. Caleb Smith is a guy that potentially could be expendable, expendable down the road because he's older, maybe doesn't fit the timeline in terms of when the Marlins will be competitive. He might be encroaching on the other side at 30. Uh, if the Marlins were to trade him now, it would be selling low based on the second half he had last year. But he's shown an ability to strike out batters as, as high of a rate as any southpaw in the MLB. Do you see the Marlins eventually – parting with one of those controllable pitchers. I know they're not in a hurry to. You actually touched on that a little bit with a story you wrote, that they don't want to make the same mistakes that the previous uh, ownership kind of pushed to make mistakes with Chris Paddock and Luis Castillo, and they want to make sure they do their due diligence with these arms. But if there is a man that's the odd man out, so to say, down the road, because the Marlins do have a surplus of arms if some of these prospects do hit, who do you think it would be, and does Caleb Smith end up being that odd man out as the older guy of all of those controllable arms? Um, I mean, it's hard to say I'm there. I mean, Caleb Smith, sure, he's a little bit older, but at the same time, I mean, 28, but he still has that four years of control. And you look at what he did on there when the first half of the year, he was as, kind of as good as anyone in the NL, right? You know, or at least in that top five range in terms of striking guys out as you mentioned and that I mean, he's the only left-hander they really have up right now of course you know they've got some guys Braxton Garrett Trevor Rogers who are lefties who you know mainly pitched in high last year so I would be a little reticent to just kind of like to trade him away right now because of how good he has been up there he was someone that you would have to get a pretty big haul for um so I would you know be careful on there and while obviously the Marlins are high on Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, of course, it's minor league baseball and prospects. You never know how everyone is going to pan out. And just statistically speaking, you know, there's going to be a lot of attrition where guys don't. And this is just as a whole, not those guys specifically. So, I mean, I think that if you have a guy like Caleb Smith, who has really proven it so far in the majors, admittedly, like you said, the back end was not as good as the front half. I would be wary of trading someone like him away right now. Um, I would think that... You know, if you look at the guys on there, Sandy is, you know, pretty safe, I would say, in the front end as someone. I mean, he pitched near 200 innings last year as his rookie season, five years of control, and he's shown a lot of stuff that flashes towards, you know, the front of rotation. Pablo Lopez is maybe – he's an interesting one to see what happens this year because, one, he's shown a lot of potential. We've seen that, but – He's had a lot of injuries. He's had the same shoulder, throwing shoulder injury the past two years that's taken him out, and he's shown some inconsistency. So, you know, if you get to a position where, you know, you have Sandy and Caleb are throwing really well, and then if you have these young guys like Sixto, Edward, probably more so towards the later, later end of the year come up, then we'll see if that creates kind of a little bit of a crunch. But I would say right now that, I would be very careful about, you know, trading away someone like Caleb. Um, I think it would have to be a really, really high return, especially just when you, you don't have any other lefties up here right now, especially in the majors or in the minor leagues. Those are still a little bit of ways away, and obviously nothing is proven or for sure right now. It's a good point. I think that's something that, you know, I didn't think about very much. I know a lot of fans probably don't think about is, yeah, you trade Caleb Smith, but then – 
who replaces him in the rotation in terms of having a southpaw. And yeah, they don't have very many guys very close to <laughs> the bigs. And there's not, it's not like left-handed pitchers are just sitting on the market every free agency. So that's, it's something that, yeah, it's a good point. They, they might need to just hold on to him, but if he's dominating this year and they get an offer that they can't refuse and then they're in a good spot, I think in terms of their pitching as for Pablo shoulders scare me. They always have. I mean, I think any, pitcher will tell you that they'd rather probably have an elbow than a shoulder problem uh, just because the success rates with shoulders are just incredibly low in comparison to Tommy John and stuff like that. So that's what makes me nervous with Pablo. But, you know, the the potential from him is indisputable. He had outings where he looked lights out and you wonder if those outings where he struggled a little bit, maybe it was because of the shoulder. So, yeah, that, he's one that I really look forward to because if he's healthy, we really haven't gotten a full chance to see what he can do. Him and Cooper seem to be on the same boat there. Uh, but now moving forward with free agency down the line, let's say hypothetically it's 2021, 2022, and the Marlins are getting there with, with their prospects. A lot of them are up. They're inching towards competitiveness, and now they want to make a splash in free agency. The new TV deal is coming up. No matter what, it's going to be more lucrative for Miami than the current deal they're under. We have naming rights to the stadium, a few other ways that they can bring in money. Of course, the Marlins are never going to be players, per se, for you know the Garrett Coles and the Anthony Rendones, most likely. But could you see, with the Marlins having an influx of cash with some of these things down the line that can happen, will the Marlins be players? And what kind of lucrative opportunities do these does this team have to try and generate some revenue to be able to chase after some decent free agents? Yeah, I mean, the question ultimately, will the Marlins, if they have the money, spend? That's obviously two to be determined. You know, we can touch on it a little bit in a second. But the first to answer that part of your question and what money can they bring in is you look at the TV deal, as you mentioned, it's just been one of the worst in baseball. They're making between 15 to $20 million annually on that deal. Whereas you look at some of these teams, I mean, we'll go on high end of the spectrum. I mean, the division, the Phillies make around $100 million on their deal. Obviously, the Marlins aren't going to get that for various reasons. But, you know, that's kind of a little bit of how, wow, this is really bad right now. So they're entering the final year of the deal. So, And this is something they've been negotiating since the ownership pretty much took over in the end of 2017. I think, you know, you look at it right now, and if you look at kind of some – estimates on what teams i think tampa bay rays are probably the most comparable for them um when you look in terms of this aside from being owned by the same parent company um with the uh, fox sports sun deal and the marlins have fox sports florida is that you know they're in a slightly bigger market with tampa st pete and they got around you know what i've heard is around 55 million although nothing has been you know reported solidly on that that's the figure that i've heard is about 55 million annually i think that's something that would probably you know be around what the marlins would get the kansas city royals got reportedly around 48 to 52 that was the numbers i think uh, mlb.com reported when it happened um late in the season and they're in a little bit of a smaller market size. So I think if you kind of use those as kind of like guidelines, I think the Marlins are probably going to be in that area. Of course, you know, maybe it's higher, maybe we'll see. But I mean, I would say that's probably a loose kind of, you know, guideline of where that would be. And that's going to be massive for this team. And that'll, these contracts are usually, it depends, usually 10 years, sometimes a little bit more. So you get a deal like that. And then that, 
instantly provides. I mean, you're looking at, you know, potentially at least 30 more, 50, you know, 40 more million dollars than you're getting. So you think immediately, all right, this is our budget right now. This is the X amount of money we have. And then you add 40 million to that. That's pretty substantial in terms of, especially when you look at what some guys are getting. And yeah, there won't be a coal or anyone like that, but you can definitely make a lot more damage than you can right now when you add stuff like that. And then, you know, uh, naming rights for the stadium, that's something a little less annually, but then that's another, you know, that's more money, whether that's in that uh, five to $10 million range per year that, you know, you add all those things up and Miami definitely has a lot of room to grow financially, although it'll obviously never be, you know, a major market in terms of like the Yankees or the Red Sox bringing in cash. They definitely have room to improve. And for people that might not understand, you know, totally how it works uh, with negotiating these TV deals and stuff like that, how soon could you expect the new TV deal to be reached between Fox Sports and, and the Marlins? Are they going to potentially try and leverage other stations, which is probably unlikely that they leave? But could you see that happening? And how big is this season in terms of what kind of ratings they put up uh, on for television for that new deal coming up? Um, I think ratings, it's one of those things that's interesting where like those probably are not going to be as important in terms of that. Like, so for example, just look in terms of a lot of things that are bigger, kind of like market size, which are in the potential, you know, pool of audience growth. Like, so for example, if you look at someone like the San Diego Padres, their ratings went up 72% last year. And that was in part, um, you know, they signed Maine Machado, they got, you know, Tatis and Paddock up there. So, rate and you look at other teams. The Twins had the second highest growth, and the Twins had a you know plus twenty win differential and won the AL Central. So, you know, the long and short is that ratings will go up when teams win and when they sign free agent and when they add exciting pieces on there. So, I guess that's a way of saying, say the Marlins right now, the ratings are not going to be super high or improved if they don't do any of those things. So, say you agree. If the ratings are low right now and they agree to a deal for that, in two years, ratings could go up significantly. Say the Marlins sign a massive free agent and say they are winning a ton. The ratings could be massively improved in a couple of years, something which might not be a humongous factor. It's not to say that they don't look at that stuff at all, but that's something where that can change rapidly. It depends if you win and it depends if you get exciting names. So I think it's more going to be determined on a lot of other things like market size. And there's a lot of other elements where they've been to go. These deals are incredibly complex. Um, They've been doing this for about two years, negotiating this contract. And they've had a little bit of leeway because the deal doesn't expire until the end of next year. So there hasn't been as much pressure. But you look at when you're signing a 10-year deal and like, who knows what TV is going to look like in 10 years or five years from now. You even look back five years ago and the way we all kind of consume TV, like a lot of people just don't have cable anymore. A lot of people are watching streaming, whether it's like Roku or PlayStation view or Hulu. And what's that going to be in five years from now or three years from now, it might be radically different. So you have to negotiate 10 years and essentially 10 years out. And you have to kind of predict a little bit of, What's this going to look like? And you have to put all sorts of different like um, contingencies in terms of there and say, well, if this happens, if this X, what if, what's the revenue going to be if there's some 
new stream that we're not even like sure of right now comes about. So the long way to put it is that there's so many complex issues in there and that doesn't even get into gambling, which is going to be a major facet too. And that's going to be a Pandora's box. I know that um, that's another thing they're going to look at as well. So I think those are kind of the key elements on there. I don't think ratings for this season will really have too much of an impact on what the TV deal is. I think they're focused on kind of a lot of those other elements and kind of hammering up like those kind of inner kind of details and what the future for how they're going to structure it. And for going into this season now, talking about some of the players that might end up making it, uh, getting the call up to get an opportunity to show what they have in the big leagues. and The Marlins have an opportunity now to, you know, see what they have moving forward. A lot of prospects are getting there, especially some of the outfield bats. You know, Monty Harrison's knocking on the door. You have Jesus Sanchez who's knocking on the door. And you got a guy like Lewis Brinson who it's probably his last chance to, to prove something. What do you think going into this year, what kind of role is Lewis Brinson going to have? And then after that, if he's not able to you know, pan out, which seems incredibly likely, unfortunately, is it going to be that kind of situation where Monty gets a chance and they see if he's ready? And if he's not ready, then maybe Jesus Sanchez gets an opportunity. How do you think they're going to handle that surplus of out, major league ready outfielders that they have knocking on the door? I think with Lewis Brinson, it's pretty much up to him at this point. And that, you know, if Lewis Brinson performs and turns the corner, then the Marlins will say, hey, we've got a nice guy in terms of here. But if Brinson, you know, has the same results as before, then. I think it's something where they're going to start to move on. I mean, I think that, you know, Michael Hill and Don Mattingly have essentially kind of said the same thing, maybe not, you know, in its blunt terms, but they've pretty much said essentially the subtext is, you know, this is, you know, it's kind of the last chance right here. So I think a lot of that is determined on how well Lewis Brinson does. If he's hitting, then that will change things. But if he's not, then I think you look at, yeah, Monte Harrison and Jesus Sanchez. I think there's also – there's no need to rush them yet, even though they're getting very close. I think they'll take at least, you know, you don't need to get them in. The, they're not, this team isn't competing this year. So I would make sure let's not move them up too quickly. And whether that means a month, two months. Um, and then I think they'll bring them up and you'll, we'll see kind of what happens. But um, I think, you know, with Montaigne Jesus, it'll depend on, yeah, what guys kind of, what guys look ready, you know, first and which guys are ready to move on up on here. And I don't think they'll rush it if, say, Brinson comes out of the shoot and is, like, really, really struggling. I don't think they'll say, well, let's get Monte up here immediately if they do not feel he is ready. At least, or at least they should not. They should only be calling Monte and Jesus up when they're 100% sure that these guys are ready to roll because it's not going to be a competing year. And then, you know, whether that means you're playing Magnar Sierra, you know, Harold Ramirez and some of those other kind of spots, then I think, you know, that's fine for the first, you know, couple of months. But then, yeah, I think you'll see Monte and Jesus. And then those two, those two are part of the core future of this, where it'll be interesting where Harold and Magnaris, you know, they might, we'll see what happens in terms of there. They might be guys that get a little bit muscled out, you know, if, you know, Monte and Jesus come up and really just, you know, tear the cover off the ball. So I think those will be guys we see a little bit more for that outfield fix. But having said that, if they're not up here from day one, there will be a little bit more opportunity for those, you know, for instance, Magnaris, Harold, where it's like, you know, here's the opportunity right now. And like, you kind of got to seize it from the beginning because you have to know that other guys are coming up. And that's just, that's the 
really nice change that the Marlins have. I think before, you know, the last couple of years, they didn't really have an opportunity to say, okay, we've got people knocking on the door. You better figure it out. If you don't, we're on to the next one. Whereas before it seemed like they just had to throw Brinson out there and just leave him out there to struggle because they didn't really have anybody to replace him with. And I mean, Harold Ramirez ended up being a, a diamond in the rough. It took some of the pressure off of the Marlins outfield, but in general, it, it seemed like they didn't really have a backup plan and Brinson was just out there to struggle. And it seems like this is the first year where the Marlins have a little bit of opportunity here to say, okay, you're not working. We got another guy that can get an opportunity and even another guy after that. So that's been a little bit refreshing to see for the Marlins coming into this year. Uh, one other question I'm going to ask you with the team upcoming this year is Brian Anderson. So he's, he looks like he gets better every year. Uh, defensively and offensively, and he seems like one of the franchise cornerstones. He doesn't have – he has a couple more years of control, but he's a guy you want to lock up probably sooner rather than later. Could you see an extension uh, with with Anderson in the next couple of years or even this year in a type of deal where the Marlins had with Christian Yelich where they locked him up before he really broke out? Um, I, I think they should. Um, it's something I don't think they've shown a ton of, you know, um, urgency to do right now. But I think for a lot of the reasons, like you said, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think maybe this year is, you know, a key one. I mean, he's shown it for the past two years with that production, you know, it's been really strong. We saw the power numbers, you know, really move up a lot last year. Um, I mean, if he didn't get hit in the hand at the end of last season, he's a guy who may have gone 25 home runs, 40 doubles, and been in that mix right there. And as someone who can play really gold glove caliber defense at, you know, both third and right field, and someone who can shuffle, like, one position to the other and not have any lapses, like, that's incredibly valuable and in what he brings to the table. And he's one of those guys, he grinds, you know, he's really tough, he hustles, he's a good I think he's someone that just really fits the mold for that kind of extension. I don't know, determines, I don't know what the numbers would be hypothetically if you did that, but I think it would make a lot of sense. And, you know, he's someone who has proven absolutely, and maybe one of the few so far, or maybe, I mean, in the lineup, and maybe the only one or two who have said, this is definitely, definitely a piece, you know, that we could count on for a championship run, someone who could start on, you know, teams across the league. So, I think that would make sense. Maybe I think it might depend a little bit more if he shows replicates what he did last year again, and even maybe improves it. Then I think maybe that puts a little bit more kind of emphasis and urgent maybe to for the Marlins say, Hey, let's do this. I know he has four years of control. So maybe they don't think we need to do this immediately, but as a team that's low revenue, I think that like, if you've got a guy here and you know that, you can be pretty confident with him going forward. I would think locking that piece up would be key. And I think it would send a very good message to the fan base as well, because for better or worse, the reputation and the perception of this team over the past, you know, 25 years, and this is the entire of the franchise is that it's cheap and that it lets goes, it lets its top players go when they become too expensive. And that's for the entire franchise. So that's, you know, multiple ownership groups. And I think, that that's a lot that's the thing that keeps a lot of people away from you know, at bay from being Marlins fans or wanting to come back is that that fear and that you know non-financial commitment and I think the Marlins doing something what a I think it makes sense from a playing financial standpoint to do that but I think it would also be 
pretty good to send that message to the fan base. You're entering year three and you have a lot, and while they've done a ton of very good things to rebuild the franchise, ultimately they've lost, you know, 203 games the past two years. And for fans who might not be following the minor leagues or a lot of those other things as closely, I think that sending that is kind of a good message for this franchise to this fan base as well. But of course, uh, we'll see what happens. And I think a lot of it will be determined by what kind of his season is again this year. Of course. And that's the thing, you know, you look at the moves that they've made with the minor leagues and some of the prospects. So like fans that really follow the team have, have been really encouraged by that, but the Marlins also have to appeal to the casual fan. And especially in Miami where you have a lot of fair weather fans to be totally <laughs> mm-hmm. candid, you, yeah. you got to be able to do those things that people can see on the outside, you know, consistent faces and uh, things like that, that really won't bring people back in is an excellent point. So before I let you go, I got one last question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Free agency, obviously it's one of the few situations where we can say the Marlins are definitely going to add somebody, whether it's free agency or trade uh, in terms of bullpen arms and an outfield bat. I'll just put you on the spot for the outfield bat. If you had to put your, uh, all your marbles in one place right now, who do you think the Marlins end up picking up? I know it's a crapshoot, but. <laughs> um, it's tough. I mean, I could predict and guess on here, but at this point it would be a guess. So I want to be careful and not saying, you know, like I want to be careful in saying that, but I think of definitely course. mentioned somebody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a, Oh, of course it's a cop out answer. I'm not denying that right now. You know, um, I think, you know, for the guys who have been mentioned, whether it's, you know, Puig Garcia, Dickerson, um, Garcia. I mean, I think that those are ones that definitely are candidates on here. So, I don't know. What, I'm making a prediction. I, I'm reticent of making, you know, as a reporter. Let me I rephrase. Like this. How about who do you prefer? Who do you think fits in the best on the team? I think that one then, I mean, you look on there. I mean, sorry, I mean, Abseil Garcia and Puig, you know, they both have their own elements on there. I think having a lefty bat on there, even though Mike Hill said it's not the um, – Ultimately, the end of the day, you don't have to have a lefty on there. I think that that definitely, you know, brings a lot of help into the lineup. He said, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's um, as long as there's splits, we're fine with, you know, even if it's a righty or a lefty. But I think you just look at someone like a Cole Calhoun might be someone who might be interesting as someone who has that kind of power and hit, you know, he was a 30 plus home run guy last year in the last year. He might be an interesting one, but again, I think that as long as they're getting one of those four or an outfielder that's an upgrade, I think it's a good thing regardless for this lineup. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And Calhoun's a guy that can really defend well in that cavernous outfield, even though they are bringing the walls in. That's another thing we I forgot to ask you about, but that's something that should be good uh, for the offense down the road. Yeah. So. Uh, thank you, Wells. I'm looking forward to the season. Thank you for all the coverage from the winter meetings. We'll uh, keep up with you on uh, Twitter. Of course, it's Dues Report, right? D-U-S-E yep. Report on Twitter. And anywhere yep, else that it. they can, fans can keep up with you? 
Uh, no, that's for the main part. That and uh, SunSentinel.com. So those two avenues. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Wells. Looking forward to the season, and uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit better one this year. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll see going forward. It used to be that the MLB winter meetings represented the climax to the offseason, where we'd see every team get involved with moves, and when the dust settled, heading into the holidays, teams would have a very clear idea of what their rosters would look like heading into the upcoming season. Uh, that has especially not been the case the previous few years when the winter meetings were a dud. And this year, uh, much different, very exciting. All Several of the biggest names came off the board. Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, uh, all of them setting record-setting contracts and for free agents at their positions. And uh, with that being said, uh, it still feels more like a midpoint of the offseason than a climax to it. There are still dozens of free agents out there that are in the primes of their careers or very close to it, and especially on the trade front. A lot of teams have players that are awkward fits for their current situations, either because of their salaries or their controllable years or their positions. A lot of teams have players that you expect to be moves uh, over the next couple months, the Marlins included. Uh, they have guys that may be expendable on their pitching staff and others uh, needs that they have offensively to bring in. So there's still a lot of room to go, a lot of changes that are going to be made between now and spring training. With that in mind, I floated a question to our audience on Twitter at Fishstripes. How would you grade the team's offseason so far? Acknowledging that there are additions expected to be made to both the outfield and the bullpen. This is not the final product, but it's been a handful of moves stretched out over the past month or so, and a lot of them have been interesting. So I wanted to check into how the fans are feeling about it with a letter grade and some comments to go along with it. If you responded to that question, I committed to including you in this segment. Just about everybody that offered a coherent response to that question is included in this segment as we just run through a variety of perspectives on what the team has done so far and what you'd like to see them do the rest of this offseason. Danny Martinez, he's still around on Twitter at Danny M underscore MIA, and his response is a B plus thus far. VR Aguilar additions are solid acquisitions. Being that I literally targeted Sterling Sharp and Yumi Garcia as arms I'd pursue, obviously like it. They're one bat, either Dickerson, Puig, Cole Calhoun, Avisael Garcia, away from being an A in his mind. If you voted anything less, add me and defend that grade. So he makes he calls out all these single additions as being helpful and nice fits to what the team is doing. And I think he's aligned with almost everybody else that they still need another bat to make this successful. The outfield has a lot of internal options, um, but all of them have very mixed or limited track records at the major league level. The names that he throws out there, Corey Dickerson, Puig, Calhoun, Avisiel Garcia, all those have been credibly linked to the Marlins. The Marlins are expressing interest in all those to various degrees uh, in free agency. And that's certainly a possibility for them in these upcoming weeks. Uh, next up, Arturo Gomez agreed 100% with Danny, one power left bat, and maybe one more reliever and or a backup catcher like Cervelli, Francisco Cervelli, for example, and it will be an A. And he's, uh, I think he's spot on with the catcher part of that as well. Uh, as things currently project, you have Jorge Alfaro, and the backup would be Chad Wallach, who entered last season as the backup 
Uh, he impressed a lot over a very limited sample before getting hurt. He suffered a concussion, and he had several setbacks trying to rehab that. He never played in the majors over the final four-plus months of the 2019 season. He's on the roster now. The, him and Alfaro are the only catchers on the Marlins 40-man roster, and I'm just not sure what you can expect, uh, considering that Wallach's track record before last season was not very good, and concussions are frightening especially for catchers that can be unpredictable to rehab from. There's no guarantee he's going to get back to his old form. And uh, so I certainly endorse if they do search for a veteran backup catcher to put on the roster to compete with Wallach in spring training. I believe Wallach still has a minor league option anyway, in case he is healthy um, alongside another catcher. Um, he doesn't necessarily have to be on the major league roster. Uh, that's something to look out for later in this offseason as well. Big Fly Bry says, number one, he loves the podcast. Thank you, Bry. I don't think that's his real name. Bry refers to Brian Anderson. Uh, but anyway, number two, I'll give it a B grade. I've been overall satisfied. He mentions Sharp, VR, Aguilar, Yimi Garcia. I do think if they go get that corner outfielder, it's upgraded to a B plus, A minus grade for the offseason. Next up, Julio. The moves we've made have been great moves, aside from Tyrone Guerrero, uh, would just like to see a little more going on. So he's not alone with that either, with some questioning about Tyrone Guerrero, who was squeezed off the roster because Marlins did not have any open spots when they were officially bringing in, let's see, who was the corresponding move yet? For VR and Aguilar, during that stretch of time, they DFA'd Tyrone Guerrero, who was the hardest thrower in baseball and obviously a very popular personality as well among the fans and Marlins teammates. He simply wasn't performing well in the majors coming off a season where his ERA and his fielder independent pitching both above six and he missed some time with some finger and hand issues. Uh, certainly has uh, more potential to go, but he's going to be entering his age 29 season as a below replacement level pitcher in the majors. Uh, the Marlins were patient with him and uh, just simply couldn't crack the code. So he is on the White Sox after being claimed off waivers and certainly somebody that we're going to be watching to see if there's another team that can unlock his great potential. Sam 71 offers a pretty quick response, gives it a B, but it could change to an A in the future. Great. Thank you, Sam. Aldi says it's incomplete. I like the fences moved in. Does that count? And I'd say that does count. Not a traditional baseball transaction, but one that certainly affects how Marlins Park is going to play this upcoming year. We've had some analysis on the site about the fences, and, and truth be told, there's only a handful of balls, if you look back at last season, that I think would have been affected from Marlins batters, maybe three or four, five extra home runs, and a couple other outs that may have been extra bases, because getting closer to the wall, coming in seven feet, five, let's see, seven feet in straightaway center field, five feet in right center field, uh, that is still very much in progress. So the Marlins made that announcement about the fences at the same time that they mentioned the installation of artificial turf. Both of those decisions are uh, transitions are still in progress, not complete yet, but certainly will be within the next few months in time for opening day. Then we have Eddie, Eddie, uh, our Puerto Rican Eddie, who has a extended comment that I'm going to read in full. 
He gives it a B grade. Pretty happy with the moves. Picking up VR just seems like a good baseball move to make and a no-brainer, and I was pleasantly surprised the Marlins thought so too. Would have liked Eric Thames, but Jesus Aguilar for cheap to see if he can hit with solid pickup too. I like the due diligence I've been seeing at the winter meetings, and I hope they land that corner outfielder they're looking for. Signing Gimme Garcia, who's a solid strike thrower in low leverage situations, and getting his arbitration year out of the deal is just a smart move. Hopefully the long ball doesn't hurt him in Marlins Park. Getting Sterling Sharp in the Rule 5 draft, a ground ball specialist, was also a good pickup. Very thorough there. Uh, Gimme Garcia probably deserves a little more conversation here. He's coming off a season where he allowed 15 home runs out of the bullpen for the Dodgers. That's just as many as Wei Yin Chen did last year, to put it in perspective. However, when he wasn't giving up home runs, he was pitching really well. He He's, he's a guy that... Uh, generally is able to throw his pitches in the strike zone, sometimes too much in the strike zone and right down the middle, but he has a very nasty slider. He has a great spin rate on his fastball. Uh, So that's a simple combination that works very well for some of the elite relievers in baseball. Garcia to Polanco with a 3-2. He strikes him out. 96 mile per hour fastball. And the Pirates strand two here in the fifth. The Marlins are going to try to harness that, and the extra arbitration year that Eddie refers to is important too. Uh, If the Marlins are satisfied with what Garcia does in 2020, they have the opportunity to tender him a contract for 2021. He can't; he wouldn't necessarily be a free agent unless they non-tender him again. And assuming he's a guy that pitches as a non-closer, closers are really the one type of reliever that gets paid handsomely in arbitration. Uh, Assuming Garcia works in any other role in the Marlins bullpen, then he's going to be pretty affordable next year, no matter what. So it's all going to come down to his performance. Certainly looks on paper like he's going to be an upgrade over someone like Tyrone Guerrero. Rob Newell, who you can find on Twitter at Rob Marlins UK. He is all the way across the pond. He gives this offseason a B. The VR and Aguilar signings showed real intent to give depth and power to the batting lineup. Yimmy looks like a bullpen upgrade. Just need an experienced outfielder to replace Granderson. Also would like Holiday as backup catcher again. Otherwise, just let the prospects progress. Thank you very much, Rob. And the sentiment that I get is that Brian Holiday is probably not in the cards for returning to the team. Uh, last offseason, he was a free agent and then resigned, but the Marlins sent him down to AAA and then he came back up. And then after the season, the Marlins had an opportunity to include him in their arbitration class and they, they released him before he would have been eligible to be tendered to contract. Uh, it, it just seems like the Marlins are moving in a different direction for that position, even though Holiday hit surprisingly well last year and seemed to be well-liked by the team. Uh, so a lot of options still out there on the catcher market, and uh, I imagine they will be making some sort of move at that position over the next couple months. Jeremiah Geiger says, I like the VR trade, but I feel it's incomplete right now. We need another offensive piece. Amen, Jeremiah. I'm all with you on that one. Robert World gives it a B grade. It could be an A if we get a lefty bat, echoing some of what several of the other people have said already. Marlins UK, that is Peter Pratt, who hosts the Fish Across the Pond podcast. He's a friend of our pod, of course. VR trade, an A+, he says. Overall, a B. Still work to do in the pen and with some left-handed pop. 
Patrick Rotella gives it a B, it, but it's kind of nerve-wracking, he says, having all these top prospects, and you keep waiting to hear they're trading them for 34-year-old veteran near the end of their career. He, he's, of course, having nightmares about Loria-era type of deals. Um, based on reports so far, it doesn't seem like the Marlins are being approached that seriously about their prospects. It's been more about the controllable pitchers, such as Eliezer Hernandez, Sandy Alcantara, Caleb Smith, um, probably among those, Eliezer is the one that you could see most likely being traded, considering he hasn't quite established himself in the majors. Uh, there is, in my opinion, a surplus of outfield prospects in the organization. If you just look at the team right now um, and how they could potentially split them up among their minor league affiliates, uh, it's going to be hard to get all these outfielders everyday playing time next season, and that's without including any depth pieces that you might want to bring into your organization to fill it out. Um, so I think that is something to watch for, uh, certainly within the next year or so, is the Marlins trading perhaps multiple outfield prospects once several of them establish themselves in the majors, uh, because they just have so many of them. And unless those players are going to change positions, uh, they would probably be, have more luck developing in other organizations. And in return, the Marlins could address other positions, uh, although that does not seem to be on the table at this very moment. Justin Kleber gives offseason a B. That's been a pretty popular response. If you look at the poll that we put out, that certainly had the highest percentage of votes among all the letter grades. He says, the only thing keeping this from an A was in 2019, we traded Zach Gallen. I might be wrong, but I feel Gallen was going to be the real deal. That trade blew my mind. Will Time will tell, though. So he didn't really follow the prompt that much. I was just grading the offseason. Gallon was traded on July 31st. That is decidedly not the offseason, and that should be kept separate from your evaluation process. Uh, but of course, he's he's digging it up, and it was a very interesting trade. Gallon going to the Arizona Diamondbacks straight up for Jazz Chisholm. Chisholm uh, played a little winter ball this year in Puerto Rico. That's something that we've covered on fishstripes.com, and he did very well in Puerto Rico. He has since been pulled out and finished off for the year. Uh, so that was that is going to be a very interesting trade to play out as the years go. The Marlins gave out gave up on they didn't give up on Gallon, but they sold high on Gallon after his initial MLB success, and he continued to pitch well in Arizona. The Marlins are betting on Chaz on Chisholm putting his wonderful tools on display and becoming an impact player at a premium up the middle position. Justin Adam says if they can pull one or two more solid moves, especially that left-handed power bat, we've heard that before, then I'll upgrade to an A. So he's in line with several others. Milton is going to be our final fan response to this question about grading the Marlins offseason. I'll give them an F. Seriously, they want to improve, but doesn't seem like it. Losing the chance of getting Eddie Rosario for Pablo Lopez. That was one particular rumor from the winter meetings. And not trying to sell, not trying at all to hit the free agency just because they want to keep the spots for the prospects, not knowing they're going to, not knowing how they're going to develop in the majors. Milton is dissatisfied. He's among a, a very small percentage of the fans who gave the the Marlins a, a D or an F grade to the offseason. Um, I, I put it up there just in case somebody wanted to vote for it. I find it very hard to defend uh, an F grade for the offseason considering how little the Marlins have given up. Uh, and So I'm going to finish this off briefly with my own thoughts. And 
also falling in line with a lot of the fans. I think it's a B offseason so far. Uh, not that I'm terribly wowed by any of the individual players that they've acquired, but they've just there's so low risk to all this at all. Uh, most of the players that came off the Marlins payroll this past year and went into free agency were not productive last year, whether it was Martin Prado, Curtis Granderson, Neil Walker, um, and even letting Brian Holiday go coming off a season where he did not perform well defensively by his usual standards. Uh, there, there were so little outgoing players, letting even on the relief side, Tyler Kinley, Tyrone Guerrero, both of them with very serious issues throwing strikes and pretty deep into their professional careers and still haven't figured it out. So many of the pieces that they've lost did not project to be significant contributors on any team moving forward. And yet the, the players that they've brought in, Jesus Aguilar, an all-star in 2018, who has just a wonderful reputation for being a very energetic teammate and has shown the ability to hit both handedness of pitching and play a surprisingly nimble first base. Jonathan VR, the Marlins got him a virtual salary dump, just trading away a uh, pitching prospect, Easton Lucas, getting VR, a, a guy that they seem very confident can play multiple positions. And regardless, he can be such an impactful player as a base stealer. That's what we mentioned on a recent podcast episode, that he adds so much value with his legs in this past season, unlocking newfound power with his bat as well, hitting a lot of balls, even in the friendly confines of Camden Yards in in Baltimore. A lot of those balls project to go out in Marlins Park too, especially with the new dimensions. So he could be one of the best players on their team. And they got him for basically a simple salary dump on a one-year minimal risk contract through arbitration. Then bringing up Yimmy Garcia, uh, the raw stuff is really impressive, and he has more of a track record than some of the relievers that they already let go in the Rule 5 draft, picking up Sterling Sharp, who was one of the more polished players available in the draft. The Marlins had the number three overall pick, and they used it on a guy that has a very strong possibility at, of sticking on the roster this upcoming season, and then that would put him under team control for a handful of years beyond that. Sharp is a ground ball specialist who... Uh, throws a lot of strikes, uh, and he has, it's not really a, a, any luck. He has a lot of downward movement on his fastball that makes it difficult to square up, and he has certainly the potential to translate that against the highest level of competition. It seems like a very low-risk move, and all of these seem like very low-risk moves. For it. And in the process, they have taken on a significant amount of payroll, uh, between, especially between VR and Aguilar. We're still waiting on the details for Yimmy Garcia. It's it's a great start, I would say, to the offseason. Understanding that they still have these glaring holes in the outfields and in their bullpen. There are more quality arms they want to add to that, especially for the beginning part of the upcoming season. There's definitely some work to do. And uh, to be fair, they have been linked to a lot of these available players that could potentially make them better. So I'm excited to see how it plays out, and I'm sure you guys are very curious too. Make sure to tune in to Fish Bites coming up next week and every week uh, here on the Fish Stripes podcast. It's always a joy interacting with you guys. I enjoy doing this segment with your literal responses, and that's something that we're going to definitely have to circle back to later in the offseason. Go fish.